the reason I chose that song. Now that, first of all, if you know anything about me, you will know that I love country music. Absolutely love country music. I can't help it. And anybody who tells you that they don't, they're lying. I'm sorry, they're lying. It's hard for me to believe that there's people that don't enjoy country music. But I love country music. Did anybody see that movie, Walk the Line? It was a really good movie. And that is a love song, actually. Um, Johnny Cash singing to whatever her name is, June something or other. It's a love song. But you know, that song talks to me about us and the Holy Spirit. Because you're mine, I'll walk the line. Um, Because you're mine, I'll walk the line. Because you're mine, I'll walk the line. I'll do what is necessary for me to do. Because of what you have given me, because of your love that is living inside of me, I will make the effort to do what is necessary to be done. Before we go any further, I just want to read something cute to you. If we treated the Holy Spirit like we treat our cell phones. First thing you look for when you wake up in the morning, isn't it? It's the first thing you look for. Where's my cell phone? My cell phone's not here. Oh, yes, I forgot I was charging it last night. Better run and get it. Never leave home without it. Make sure you've got it. And if you do leave home without it, you turn back and you go and fetch it, don't you? You don't want to be anywhere without your cell phone. Get into a panic if the battery runs flat. And so you've got a charger next to your desk. You've got a charger next to your bed, you've got a charger in the kitchen, you've got a charger there by the TV, you've got a charger everywhere because it's terrible if a cell phone runs out of battery. You check the messages, how many times a day do you check those messages on your cell phone? Now just imagine, girls and boys, how far down the road of sanctification we would be if we gave the Holy Spirit as much attention as we give our phones. That little comparison takes me into what I want to speak to you about this morning. So again, I'm not a preacher. Girls, I'm married to a preacher. I'm married to a very good preacher, in fact. And I'm very proud of him and I love him very much. But I'm not a preacher. I'm not a preacher. I'm just his wife. Or no, I won't say just his wife. I'm his wife. I'm his wife. And God's got a lot to do with who he is. But you know what? So have I. God uses us women. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not a preacher, but I am able to share my heart with you this morning about what God has been saying to me. And this is definitely a subject that God has been impressing upon my heart. And if I look on YouTube, which I do often, and I listen to reputable preachers and teachers, I hear them talking about this. And our own pastor has been talking about this for the past couple of months. At Joyce Meyer also. You know, I've just discovered recently that I actually like Joyce Meyer. I didn't like her. Well, I, you know, I want to think she I didn't like her. I didn't know her. I wasn't ever particularly interested in her ministry, and so I didn't pay any attention. But I've started listening to Joyce Meyer lately, and my word, she's an amazing woman. She's so practical. She's so real and level-headed, but with a tremendous love for God. So I think you probably have a good idea what I'm going to speak to you about this morning. And this is the area that floats my boat. This is the area that gets me interested. When Jared spoke to us a few weeks ago via Zoom, and he said, if you are in a quandary about what motivates you concerning the things of God, you know, sometimes people are not sure about what it is that God is pressing upon their lives. He said, listen to podcasts, listen to preachers, listen to men of God. And when they mention something that interests you, 
your attention will pick up. It's like your ears will pick up and you'll, you'll pay attention. So if I hear things on this subject immediately, immediately, it's like it's got my attention. It's something that I'm interested in. It's something that I want to pursue. Because you know what? I recognize that I need to change. I need to grow. I need to be mature. I'm tired. I'm tired of being run around by my emotions, about, by the way I feel, by the way I experience things. I want to grow up. I want to mature in the things of God. I'm sick and tired of playing games. You know, um, I'm tired of the church games. I don't want to play church games anymore. And it, it concerns me when, um, well, I've never liked playing church games. I won't say I don't want to play them anymore. I've never liked playing church games, but sometimes you're kind of forced into that position, and I don't want to do that. I don't want to do it, and it it concerns me that they are not here, okay, not amongst you, definitely not amongst you, but it concerns me that there are so many game players in the church. It, It concerns me, and I actually don't want any part of it. So I think that you all know this morning that I'm going to be talking on the subject of sanctification. And our darling pastor puts it in a very much simpler terms, guarding your heart. And basically that's what sanctification is. It's guarding your heart. And um, sanctification, so I'm going to go through a little bit of what sanctification is and where it fits in. I saw this thing, I don't quite remember where I saw it, but you know when you're feeling a little bit anxious, you go like this. Yeah. Yeah. You're breathing in God, and you're breathing out God. So that's what I'm doing. Okay, so sanctification is part of the salvation package. And, you know, we kind of, I think every one of us here kind of knows about the salvation package. But let me just go through it quickly with you. God sent Jesus. Jesus died for us. God sent Jesus because he knew that we were a lost cause without Jesus. So he sent Jesus to the earth, his son, God's son, who lived on the earth. Jesus died for us. When Jesus died, he took the sins of the world. He took yours and my sins and the sins of the world, past and present upon himself. He died for us. What allows us to enter into that belief or that that action is our belief. Okay, we absolutely have to believe. In order to receive salvation, belief is extremely, extremely important. So our sins were washed away by Jesus's blood. We've been cleansed by Jesus's blood. God sees us now only through the eyes of Jesus. So in other words, Jesus is now our, he's now our filter. Jesus is our filter. So when God looks at us, he doesn't see us. He doesn't see our failings. He doesn't see our shortcomings. He sees us through the filter of Jesus. So when he looks at us, we are pure. We are spotless. We are blameless in his sight. So he has stamped us 100% God approved, and that is never going to change. Another incredible thing is he gives us, God gives us his righteousness. It's a gift. God gives us his righteousness. So we are In that case, we are justified. God justifies us. And justified, we've all heard the expression, just as if I'd never sinned. I mean, that's quite amazing. You know, God looks at us, and despite the fact that we are sinning all the time, actually, because we've received Jesus, 
God can look at us and he can say, this person is justified. They are sinless. Their sin has been removed from them as far as the east, south is from the east, or the east is from the west. One of those, anyway. <laughs> anyway, our sins have been taken away from us, far, far away. God says they have been cast into the sea of forgetfulness, so uh, he doesn't remember them. Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. Okay, read it for me. Okay, so yes, it's by grace. This is all by grace. So in other words, it's a free gift. It's astounding. It's astounding, the salvation package. What it does for us is absolutely astounding. Sins are washed away. God sees us now only through Jesus, pure and spotless in his sight. There is nothing that we can do that will separate us from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Even if you punch your husband because he's irritating you so much. God's love for you is not going to change. Why? Because he sees us through the filter of Jesus' blood. So that's free, isn't it? What did we do? What did we do for that? Other than believe. Other than we had to believe. That was, that was part of it. But who can tell me? Are we ready, Shireen? Another one. We've got 11 of these to go through, my darling. Okay, we've, I've got another scripture verse for you. Romans 12, verse 3. Who can quote that for me off the top of their heads? Anybody? You do? Okay. That was a... That was a very good attempt. I, 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 thank you for your boldness. <laughs> thank you for your boldness. But I think we need to find that actual scripture verse. Okay, Megan. Sorry, Shireen, I took your job. Yeah, jump up. Jump up. <laughs> okay, read us the scripture verse. Okay, now that's the part of the scripture verse. It's very important that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought, yes. But, the, oh, wait, wait, we've got to watch her get her prize. Uh-oh. Oh, good. Are you happy? Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. God bless Woolies. Okay, so the, the part of that scripture verse that I wanted, wanted to bring out was the, the measure of faith that God has given us. He's given us a measure of faith. God gave us a measure of faith. So even the fact that we are able to believe comes from a gift, from, a gift of God. If, if we didn't have that gift, we wouldn't be able to believe. So even that part of it is free. Okay, the next step in the salvation plan is also absolutely free. The Holy Spirit. You know, once God has, once we have acknowledged that Jesus has died for our sins and God has cleansed us, he's, 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 we are justified in his sight, we are righteous. Once we, once we find ourselves in that position, then we are able to carry the Holy Spirit. Then and only then are we able to carry the Holy Spirit. And God gives us his Holy Spirit. 
Um, okay, Shireen, are you ready? We've got another one. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I want to know who can tell me off the top of their heads or the top of their hearts, rather. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. Psalm 46, verses 1 to 3. Okay, you can, you can pull your phones out. Find it. Ah. Well done. That's excellent. Number eight is... Oh, no, I can't believe it. Let it read Yes, yes, you can redo. That's going to be no good to you. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm very, very happy for you. Yes. God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. And you know, that's what the Holy Spirit is to us. He's our ever-present help in times of trouble. And he, as he was given to us as a result of us receiving Jesus. So that's also, what did you do to, to get that? Did you do anything to get that? Absolutely nothing other than receive the initial gift of salvation. So God is our refuge and strength in ever-present times and help of trouble. And the Holy Spirit is, is indwelling. You know, the Bible, the Bible talks of the, the Holy Spirit as being the person of the Holy Spirit. He's a person. And he's part of the Godhead. He's part of the Trinity. And he's, part of, he's, he's the part of the Godhead that God saw fit to give to us, because again, he knew that without him, even though we, we, we would lose our justification very, very quickly without the, the gift of the Holy Spirit within us. Then, another incredible gift that comes along with the Holy Spirit, it's part and parcel of the Holy Spirit, is God's gift of grace in our lives. Grace, you know. Grace is, well, God knew that we needed grace, absolutely. We wouldn't, we wouldn't um, survive without grace. One of the, one, one, one of the, the um, let me just make sure there weren't any other scripture verses on that page. I think that's it, yeah. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit within our lives is to maintain, maintain our standing with God. It's to maintain our standing with God. It's to maintain our salvation. It's to maintain the fact that we have everlasting life in Jesus. It's, it's like our maintenance plan, if you like. It keeps us justified through God's eyes. It keeps us clean. It keeps us as white as snow when God sees us. That's what grace does for us. Keeps us righteous in God's eyes. It's an essential part of the salvation plan, God's grace. So, so the salvation is free. The justification is free. The Holy Spirit is free. Grace is free. Even faith is free. 
Yeah, we have to develop our faith, absolutely. We have to grow our faith. But the very fact that we are able to do that is a gift from God. So, then we come to the part of the salvation plan that's not free. Oh, this is really exciting. This should really get you interested. This is going to cost you. I promise you, it's going to cost you. The rest was all free. The rest was all automatic. This is not automatic. Sanctification, it sounds like it should be automatic, eh? In fact, in fact, wouldn't it be great if it was automatic? It sounds like it should be free. And let me just, before I, before I tell you how it does work, if it wasn't for the initial part, if it wasn't for the, the, the first part, the free part, we would not be able to enter into sanctification. The free part, um, yeah, it's the doorway. Well done, Megan. The free part is the doorway. It's the entrance into the part that's going to take effort and going to take um, some concentration. So let's delve a little bit into what sanctification is and what it's there for. Sanctification does not benefit the new man. Okay, it doesn't benefit the new man. The new man is complete. The new man is whole. The new man is justified. The new man is cleansed. The new man is righteous. So sanctification does not benefit the new man. The new man is what God sees. The new man is what God sees. The new man is the security that we stand in. Sanctification is not for the new man. The new man is justified already. Okay. Sanctification is the process that involves the flesh or the old man. That's what sanctification is there for. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful if when the day we got saved and God gave us all these incredible gifts, free gifts, and there's our flesh sitting in the middle, kind of wobbling around, doing its thing. If God had taken a knife and given us a fleshectomy, would that not have been marvelous? <laughs> I, think, I think that would have solved a whole lot of problems, don't you? It would have solved a whole, if we didn't have to deal with the flesh, we could all be holy, holy, holy. But you know what? God didn't do that. God did not give us a flesh like to me. God left the flesh there. And let's face it, he must have left it there for a purpose. And I think a lot of it's got to do with the fact that another one of the gifts that God has given us is the gift of free will. You know, we get to choose. We chose Jesus, didn't we? There's a lot of people out there that haven't chosen Jesus. We've chosen Jesus. So that free will is very important in our lives. And, and I think God knew that we needed to keep the flesh. We needed to. Because he wants us to be able to make choices. Now, the unfortunate part about the flesh is once you receive Jesus, once you have received the Holy Spirit within you, the help meet, the ever-present help in times of trouble, once you receive grace, the flesh kind of knows it, and the flesh kind of sees, okay, what's going to happen here? Is she going to take away the decision-making from me and give it to the Holy Spirit? Is that what's going to happen here? And you know what? The flesh stands up and starts to make itself very, very, very present in your life. Your flesh is going to fight tooth and nail against you handing your control over to the Holy Spirit. And that, in a nutshell, 
my beautiful sisters, is why the sanctification process is such a challenge. It's a challenge, and can I say it's difficult? And can I say it's a work? I know, I know in grace circles, we don't like the word work. We want it all to be free. We want it all to be automatic. But it's not. Sanctification is not. Guarding your heart is not free. It's not automatic. Your flesh is fighting tooth and nail to keep control away from the Holy Spirit. Your flesh is rude. Not only yours, mine too. (laughs) Mine too. Mine's just as rude as yours. It's pushy. Your flesh is loud. It wants to be heard. Your flesh is extremely demanding. It wants his way. And it's selfish. It's all your flesh. is. Let's call it a he. Let's call it a good. We'll call it a he. (laughs) All he ever thinks about is himself. (laughs) Now your flesh. Your flesh is everything the Holy Spirit isn't. There's nothing rude about the Holy Spirit. There's nothing pushy about the Holy Spirit. In fact, the term for the Holy Spirit is as gentle as a dove. As gentle as a dove. He's not loud. He's not pushy. He's not fighting to have his voice heard. He's not demanding. And he's absolutely not selfish. Because his desire is for you to be lifted up into the things of God. His desire is for you to follow God's way. So the Holy Spirit is quietly confident. The Holy Spirit is quietly confident. He's quiet, and you know what? He's not pushy. He's not demanding. He allows you your opinion, and he allows you your choice. And the Holy Spirit sits quietly waiting for you to give him attention. And I want you to think about that. The Holy Spirit sits quietly, willing you to give him your attention. The flesh on this side is saying, how's that? I'm here. Listen to me. And what I have to say is far more important. Who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? You have to consciously make an effort to listen to the Holy Spirit. If you don't, the flesh will just take over. That I promise you. That I know from experience. Gifts are given, but fruit grows. You know, we've we've been given a lot of gifts in the salvation process. We've been given the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy, gift of words of wisdom, of faith, gift of healing, the gift of the working of miracles, the gift of discernment of spirits, the gift of speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. They are all gifts. They came along with the salvation package. And, you know, we can look around us and we can recognize the gifts in different people. And obviously these gifts have to be honed, but ultimately they are gifts. They are gifts, so we can't necessarily pat ourselves on the back for these things. They are given to us via the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, the sanctification is different to that. Sanctification can be likened to a fruit. It needs to grow and it needs to develop. And before fruit can grow, there actually needs to be a tree, doesn't there? We need to have a tree to grow fruit off. But um, absolutely, the fruits of the Spirit are definitely part of the salvation package. Definitely part of the sanctification part of the salvation package are the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, uh, long-suffering, self-control. Notice at the end, notice that it ends with self-control. We need self-control, absolutely. So, yeah. Okay, but listen to me carefully. There's a lot of mystery around the salvation plan. 
you know, the fact that God can look at us, even though we sin and we fall every day, that God can look at us and all he sees is the blood of Jesus. All he sees is righteousness. All he sees is a justified person. That is extremely mysterious. The fact that the Holy Spirit can live within us, part of God can be dwelling within us, is extremely mysterious. But you know what? There's nothing mysterious about sanctification. (laughs) Sanctification is when you've got to get down and dirty and deal with things. Uh, Sanctification is practical. It's where the tire hits the tarmac, if you like. And it's a process and it's challenging. It's hard. It's not an easy, it takes determination. It takes grit. It takes having done all to stand to stand. It's not easy and the process is hard. The process can be challenging and it can be painful. But once we find ourselves on the road of sanctification, it can start to have beautiful effects in your life. It can start to change you. The process is very challenging and painful because what we are doing is we are removing the option of the easy way out. We're taking away the option of the easy way out. And who can tell me what the easy way out is? Exactly, Rose. That's exactly what the easy way out is. The easy way out is defaulting to the flesh. And that's what the sanctification process is going against. And that's why it's hard. Your flesh is going to fight you. I just want to warn you. Your flesh is not going to like it. Galatians 5, verses 16, 17, and 18. From that scripture verse, we can see that the spirit and the flesh are in conflict. There's a fight going on inside of you, a fight that is not going to go away. So be prepared. Be prepared, girls. This fight is not going away. And your only option is to succumb to the flesh. But that is no option at all because it's just going to make your life miserable. I promise you that. God wants us to do this. How do we know that God wants us to do it? We know because he he put it in the plan. He put it in the plan. If he didn't want us to do it, it wouldn't be there. If he was happy with us to remain just sanctified through Jesus, he would have left it at that. But he didn't. He continued. And not only did he put, not only that, but he's given us the availability. He's given us the tools to do it. And the tools are, the precious person of the Holy Spirit, who along with him brought God's grace. Those are the tools that we have to use. Now, sanctification is not for God's benefit. It doesn't benefit God, not one iota, if you get sanctified. Not one iota. You are perfect in his sight already. He's never going to change his mind about you. You are perfect in his sight already. He's never going to change his mind about you. I won't say that God doesn't care if you don't get sanctified. He does care if you don't get sanctified. But it doesn't, if you don't get sanctified, it's not going to alter your position in him. Your position in him remains the same. So sanctification is not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. Sanctification is for our benefit. It's to make our lives, it's to make our quality of life here on earth better. It's for us to get over our issues, our um, patheticnesses. Um, That's what the sanctification process is for. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 1 to 3. 
Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in the way that pleases God. And we have taught you, you live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember, we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will is for you to be holy, to stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control your own body and live in holiness and honor. honor. Perfect. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, so we see from that scripture verse, God wants us to be holy. God has made us holy. He knows we're holy, but at the same time, he wants us to be holy. It's a little bit of a conundrum, isn't it? But perhaps it's one of the mysteries. God wants us to be sanctified because he loves us. Not because it's going to change the way he sees us, but he knows it's going to change our quality of life here on earth. So he wants us sanctified because he loves us. And he wants our journey here on earth to be as satisfying and as fulfilling as we can make it. And also, it places us in a position where he can use us, where he can seriously use us, because we are no longer focused on the flesh. We are focused on his spirit. Another one of the main purposes of God's spirit within us is to help us. You know, the Holy Spirit is our help meet. Grace is the enabling power of God within us. I think it's a terrible shame if we don't use God's grace for what it's really intended. If we're just going to use it as a, you know, to make us clean, so that when God sees us, we please Him. If we're going to, just going to use it for that, I think it's a terrible waste, don't you? When it's there to help us in our everyday lives. The Holy Spirit is our helper. And grace is the vehicle that we travel on when we are on the road of sanctification, that's the, that's, we travel on grace. And his grace has enabling benefits. There's power in grace. There's enabling power in grace. There's a power in grace that enables us to do things that we would never be able to do if we didn't have grace. So there's something supernatural about grace. But you know what? We have to wake up. We have to wake up. I don't know how else to say it. We have to wake up and we have to notice and actively, determinedly, on purpose, change our focus from defaulting to the flesh. Because that's what we do every day. We default to the flesh. A lot of the times, because we're simply unconscious of the Holy Spirit's presence within us. We're just not conscious of it. We know in our heads he's there. But in our day-to-day existences, we just forget So we've got to, on purpose, determinedly change our mind. Okay, I'm taking control away from the the flesh, and I'm giving it to the Holy Spirit. It's a choice. It's a choice. It's a daily choice. In fact, it's a a minute-by-minute choice. We're choosing all the time. And I think that's a really big revelation place to come to, is to realize that actually we do have a choice. We really do have a choice. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I mean, what the heck? If we see the word fear and trembling, does that not tell us, okay, this is serious stuff? I mean, that in itself denotes this is going to take some attention, doesn't it? Isn't it? I mean, come on. We've got to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That's a part that God's not going to do, is it? It's a part that we have to do. Okay, so the crux of the matter is this does not happen overnight. 
you know, you can sit here this morning and you can think, okay, I'm going to get on the road of sanctification. Tomorrow morning, you're not going to be sanctified. <laughs> that I can assure you. But it's a start. You know, we have to start somewhere. It's most definitely something we will be challenged with until we see Jesus face to face. You know, and I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to step into mortality. Maybe if we get the sanctification process, there's more chance of us stepping into immortality. If we step into immortality, if maybe we will pass on um, or when he comes back. But we, one thing we can be sure of is that we are going to see him face to face one day. And when we see him face to face, the sanctification process is going to be null and void. Because the Bible says when we see him face to face, we will be like him. So we won't need the sanctification process. The sanctification process is here for here. It's to deal with the human condition. Okay, let me see. Also, you know, the sanctification is for ourselves. It's to improve ourselves. It's to improve the way we respond to people, situations, negative situations, negative things, you know. Some people have to go through, or people, a lot of people. I mean, if we listen to each other's issues this morning, you know, we would very, very quickly choose our own. <laughs> Do you know why? Because God gives you the grace to deal with your own. He doesn't give you the grace to deal with somebody else's. So we've all got issues. We've all got the things that we have to deal with. But the sanctification process is going to improve that. It's going to give us wisdom. It's going to give us the ability to see things differently. It's going to affect the people around us. You know, you're going to live in a much happier marriage if you're sanctified, even if your husband isn't. <laughs> it's going to be easier for you to deal with him if you're sanctified. But if you're both unsanctified, <laughs> it's flesh city. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, <laughs> And also, also um, it enables God to use us. You know, use us for the purpose that he's planned us for. You know, the purpose that he put us on this earth for. We all have a purpose, and we all have a plan. Now, even though it's a purpose, and it takes long, and I hope I haven't discouraged you with that this morning, but it's got to start somewhere, doesn't it? It's absolutely got to start somewhere. So now, I have got three things that have helped me. And please, sisters, in the name of Jesus, understand I'm not coming to you this morning from a place of arrival. I need sanctification just as much as any of you do. I promise you, just because I'm married to the pastor doesn't afford me any kind of extra privilege. In fact, there might be some disadvantages. <laughs> if the truth be told that I find myself in a very, very similar place to you, and I recognize my need for sanctification. I'm not in any, uh, I don't have any kind of um, fleshly wool pulled over my eyes as far as that's concerned. I know that I need to be sanctified. So I have found three things that have helped me. And I understand that we're all different. And, you know, one thing will work for another person and another thing will work for another person. But I'm sharing this morning, so you're going to hear what's worked for me. <laughs> okay. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. That's what that scripture verse is talking about. It's talking about the renewing of your mind. And basically, the renewing of your mind is changing the way you think. You know, we need to know what the Word of God says. If we want to be sanctified, we kind of need to know what we need to be sanctified to. 
don't we? So we need to know what the Word of God says, and how do we renew our minds? We renew our minds by reading the Bible. We renew our minds by coming to church on Sunday and listening to the preacher. We renew our minds by, um, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of Christian podcasts now, and I feel like I've really, my mind has begun to be renewed through this. So that's a very, very good starting point. We need to, need to, need to know what the Word of God says. I'm not saying you have to spend hours and hours in the Bible like Andre does or my husband does. It's like, you know, sometimes you think you could get a life, you know. <laughs> because, you know, we're not all motivated to read our Bible 24-7. doesn't mean we don't love Jesus, but we're not motivated. You know, I don't know. If there are, no, I see there's some nodding heads. There are a few people who identify with me. Um, but, you know, so, and we don't need to know Scripture and verse. We don't need to know, you know, what every Bible verse says and where to find it. And, and you know, we've got cell phones now. We've got concordances now, which makes life easier. And, and I really don't think God minds if we use them. But we need to have a basic foundational knowledge within us of what the Word of God says, who God is, how much God loves you, what is God's purpose for you, how, in what areas does God want us to grow and mature, what is displeasing to Him. So we need to know a basic foundation of that in order to become sanctified so that we know what we're becoming sanctified too. The next thing that I have found very, very helpful in my life has been the attitude of gratitude. Now, I've got little stories around each of this, these, which I'll come to you just now. Um, an attitude of gratitude, that thankful heart, that thankful heart. You know, a thankful heart garners God's attention immediately. The minute you are thankful, it's like a demonstration of faith. Because it's, I promise you, the flesh is never thankful. If you are thankful, it's like you're linking arms with the Spirit of God within you, and you are demonstrating an act of faith. And the Word of God says that Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we are linking our arms with the Holy Spirit and we are acting in faith, is God pleased with us? Absolutely. So we need to be walking in faith. If we want to be pleasing God, in a different view to the justification thing, this is different. God is already pleased with us, but God is a different kind of pleased with us when we act in faith. Okay. The third one is forgiveness. Now, a willingness. That's what I have discovered. The answer to this is to keep a short account, to keep a short account of your offenses. We all get offended. I get offended, just like you do. We all get offended. And sometimes it's stupid little things that offend us, that get under our, what Pastor John says to, John says to me, what crawled up your nose? <laughs> you know, certain things will crawl up our nose and it'll get us going and we'll be and we'll give that person attitude or whatever. But, you know, those are small issues, and we need to get over this. We need to be sanctified enough to get over those things, you know, and to continue to love those people. But, you know, sometimes forgiveness is bigger than that. Sometimes it involves something much more serious than that, and sometimes you have been genuinely traumatized by something or hurt deeply by something. But we still have to forgive. 
We still have to forgive. And you know, God requires us to forgive. So because it's a requisition of God, He graces us. We can forgive. If we make the decision, we can forgive. But I just want to say this, that just because we have forgiven somebody, it doesn't mean that we have to go and try and make best friends with them. Okay. Sometimes it's possible. Sometimes it is possible, especially if it's not a serious matter. You can get over yourself and love the person like you love them before they hurt you. And that would definitely mean that you are in the process of sanctification. But sometimes it is safer for you to have a boundary. You know, we need to have boundaries in our lives. And, and, and we need to know what's dangerous for ourselves even. Sometimes we need to protect ourselves. So forgiveness. The way that I can check myself if I've forgiven somebody is like when, if their name comes up in conversation or if they walk in the room or whatever, what is the emotion that rises up within me? Is it resentment? Did she have to be here today? Today of all days when I'm preaching, did she really have to be here? And I have to. Then I kind of. (laughs) Then I kind of have to say to myself, well, maybe I have not done a very good job of forgiving that person. Okay, if after they've done something to me and they walk in the room and you know there's no emotional reaction out of me, then I can relax. Another good way is like if they come up, if they come into your mind or whatever, can you pray for them with sincerity? Can you ask the Lord to bless them? Can you ask the Lord to make their situation better or to help them? You know, can you sincerely do that? I think that is also a good indication that you have forgiven someone. Because, you know, it's hard to be warm and fuzzy with everybody, isn't it? I mean, that's impossible. The love of Jesus, you know, the, you know that, that funny thing that people say, yeah, well, I love you with the love of the Lord. There's an element of truth in that. We can't be warm and fuzzy with everybody, but we can be wanting the best for everybody. We can be lifting everybody up as, as opposed to thinking horrible things about them and, and rejoicing if they get a flat tire. You know, they deserved it after all. Um, yeah, so that's basically just, you know... Forgiveness is for you, really. It's not really for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. We have to have forgiving hearts before God. He's told us if if we won't forgive you, he's not going to forgive us. I mean, that's serious business. Now, if we can connect with the Holy Spirit. Now, this again, I'm using myself as an example. If we can connect with the Holy Spirit in these three areas, I think it's a good foundation. It's a good foundation place for sanctification to begin to take place in our lives. And, you know, it's like anything. Often, the thought of doing something is extremely daunting. I mean, even the pile of filing in your office that you've hidden away from the boss because you don't want him to see it, because it's growing every week, it's growing, and you're looking at it, and you're thinking, "Uh, you know, oh, no, I don't feel like doing this. I haven't got the guts for this. I'm not going to do it until eventually one day you think, okay, today I'm going to tackle that filing. And you start it, and you realize, oh, That wasn't so bad. What was all the fuss about? Once we find ourselves on the road, it becomes easier. It's not so incredibly daunting. It's a little bit more manageable. Success doesn't come from doing something occasionally. Ask Renelle how many times she had to make those flowers before they... Not these particular ones, but she's practiced on many before they got that lovely. Ask Shireen 
how long it was for her to get to that place where she can produce an adorable little Christmas plushie. Ask me how long it took me to get my um, teddy bears looking like teddy bears. <laughs> it takes practice, and it takes doing it. If we're not going to do something consistently, we're never going to get good at it. Ayani crochets beautifully, but she spent her life crocheting. Beautiful work. So success doesn't come from what you do occasionally. It comes from what we do consistently, what we do every day. And that's if we want the sanctification process in our lives to be effective, we need to be doing this. We need to get good at it, in other words. Get good at it and do it. Consistent godly behavior creates godly habits. And, you know, we need to create godly habits in our lives. I just want to go back quickly. Oh, my walking example as a godly habit. Right at the beginning of COVID, I started walking. You know, those first few weeks when we weren't allowed to walk, we weren't even allowed to leave the house. And, you know, isn't it amazing how when you're not allowed to do something, you want to do it? And I wanted to walk and I wasn't allowed to walk. So when that rule was lifted, and I think we were allowed to walk from six in the morning till nine in the morning or whatever, I decided, okay, from now on, I'm going to walk. So I started walking. Every day I started walking. And I can't tell you how long it took me. The first thing, the first positive thing I found was um, I didn't have a scale. So I had these pair of jeans that I would try on. And they were my test. You know, if I could get them up and I could at least do the button, I'm doing okay. If it gets to the place where I can hardly close the button, then I know, okay, it's time for you to lose some weight. But anyway, after walking for about, I don't know, must have been about six weeks, I guess, I think, okay, let me try these trousers on. So I put them on, and I promise you, I'm not lying, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you the truth. They fell off me. <laughs> after about six weeks, I couldn't believe it. Well, that was motivation. Let me tell you, I was motivated. I'm going to keep on walking. So by that stage, I developed a habit, a physical habit, a positive habit. But you know what I discovered? I discovered that it helped me mentally and it helped me emotionally. You know, we know that exercise is good for you and sometimes we know it, but we don't actually believe it. But honestly, it is good for you. Exercise is good for you and it helped me to, didn't change my situation, but it helped me to process things emotionally in a better way and it was a benefit it was a real benefit so but it wasn't a spiritual thing it was a physical thing and I had downloaded a lot of country music you know off wherever what where is it the music channel whatever and uh, I would listen to that and you know I loved it I still love it. I love to walk and I developed a habit so there was nothing in me by the time it got to about five or six months, I didn't wake up in the morning thinking to myself, oh, um, I wonder if I should walk today. No, I just got up and I went for a walk. I had developed a habit. And a habit is something, you know, it, you do it automatically. Then after walking for a while, I, it, was like, it must have been the Holy Spirit. It was certainly not my flesh or the devil. The Holy Spirit said to me, well, why don't you use this time to pray? Because I walk for about an hour and a half a day. Why don't you use this time to pray? And I thought, Okay, I'll give that a bash. And you know what? The past two and a half years, I have never prayed so much in my whole life. I pray when I walk. I pray when I walk. And I've never had that kind of joy for prayer like I have now. Prayer, for me, you know, please, I hope you're not going to judge me for this. But for me, it was an absolute discipline. Prayer is a discipline. 
And for me, it was hard because I would get distracted. The telephone would ring. John would come home. It was like there was 120 things to pull me out of prayer, and prayer was a hard thing for me. I'm not saying I didn't pray. I'm just saying it wasn't much fun, put it that way. Well, since I've started walking, I love to pray. It's like it's easy. I'm focused, although, you know, you've got to be safe on the road. You've got to make sure the car doesn't hit you or the guy doesn't steal your cell phone. But there's no, it's mindless. It's mindless stuff. So uh, that's, if I tell you that I'm going to pray for you, that's when I pray for you, is when I'm walking. So, and it's, you know, it's like reading your Bible. It has benefits. Prayer has benefits. And never be ashamed of praying for yourself. You should be the one that you are praying for most. Because if you are whole, if you are happy, if you are at peace, you are of much better use in your job, in your marriage as a mother, you're just going to be much more effective. So never be ashamed. I I remember in a ladies' meeting once, somebody saying, oh, no, it's selfish to pray for yourself. Absolutely not. We need to be focused on ourselves. We can't change anybody else. We can only work on ourselves. So focus on yourself. So that was my, oh, so there I developed this, this and I've got this, I pray. I pray. I, and, and when I tell you I pray, I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I pray. And then a little while later, I thought, okay, maybe I can start listening to podcasts. So that's how I started listening to Joyce Meyer. So I spend half of my walk listening to reputable Christian teachers And half of my walk I spend praying. So I just feel like I have spiritual input in my life that I didn't have before. And that was from developing a habit. So what I'm trying to get across to you this morning is we can develop godly habits. You know, we can have bad habits that maybe we need to deal with. That happens within the sanctification process, doesn't it? But if we can start to develop godly habits, it's going to be much easier for us to lay down our fleshly habits. And you know, some habits aren't just neutral. They're not, God's not offended about them. We're not sinning, but we're not necessarily doing anything for him in that time. So, you know, that's, that's also okay. Another th- habit that I created with the attitude of gratitude is um, going to bed at night. I go to bed at night. I promise you, I'm not lying to you, I lay my head on the pillow, John gets in next to me, he lays his head on the pillow, and within 10 seconds, the man is snoring. (laughs) I can lie in bed for an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, I, I do not fall asleep, and that was a wonderful time for my flesh, because my flesh would ruminate all about all the negative things that have happened to me today and how dreadful it is and why do I have to live this life and everything is so dreadful and that's how I'd go to sleep. And the Holy Spirit said to me, change that. So now I lay my head on the pillow and I start to thank God for what he's done for me in that day. And it's made me aware of all that God actually does do for us in a day. You know, half the time we're oblivious. But this practice has made me realize that, yeah, God is active. God is very active in my day. It doesn't mean that negative things don't happen. They do. I mean, obviously they do. It's, you know, we live in a world full of negativity. Obviously we experience negative things. But I don't focus on that now. I focus on 
the good things that God is. And I pray and I thank the Lord. And when I've got past and I thank the Lord for everything, I pray for my kids. I've, you know, I thank the Lord for all the good things in my life. I've got so many good things in my life. And when I'm finished that, then I just revert into tongues. And I talk in tongues. I pray in tongues until I fall asleep. And sometimes it's an hour and a half. Sometimes it's two hours. But that for me has become a habit. I don't have to tell myself anymore, focus on gratitude when you put your head on the pillow. It just happens automatically. Speak in tongues, you know, as you're going into that. I don't have to think about it anymore. I do it automatically. So that's another thing that I want to stress. We can develop godly habits that help us. And, you know, we think they're stupid. We think these things in our lives are stupid. You know, they're stupid little things. Why did God lay it upon my heart not to lie? I mean, I didn't think I was a liar in the first place. <laughs> it was only when I tested myself that I discovered that actually, yeah, you do lie. You do lie, and not necessarily to save hurting someone's feelings, but to save your own butts, to stop yourself from getting into trouble. And maybe there's some of you out there that really don't, but I did. And so I'm making a concert. I have to tell you a funny little story about that. Shireen and I were in the office one day sitting, chatting. The pastor wasn't there, obviously. We were chatting in the office, and JD was there as well. So we were, you know, once you get, I'm 61 now, and it's like, it's like I look at my hands and I think, oh, Lord, it's only Daniel from here. Because um, <laughs> I don't have, I do not have pretty hands. Anyway, so Shireen and I, we were like comparing hands. And I'm saying, oh, look at my wrinkled hands. And Shireen's saying, oh, no, your hands aren't bad. Look at my hands. And I'm saying, for goodness sake, Shireen. There is no comparison. My hands are much worse than yours. And she's saying, no, they're not, babe. Look at them. You're 11 years older than me, and my hands are worse than yours. And I'm saying, Shireen, they're not. She's saying, they are. So J.D.'s sitting there. I said, J.D., come on, J.D., come and tell us. <laughs> come and tell us whose hands are worse. <laughs> it's the first time J.D.'s ever said no to me. <laughs> he jumped up. He said, no, Auntie Bev, I'm not putting myself in that position. <laughs> And he left the room. So that's a way to handle lying, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, he's obviously been caught. He's obviously been caught there before. But that's a way to not um, tell a lie is to avoid it. <laughs> I have got another story. Amy sent a whole lot of photos that she'd found, I don't know, on, on some social media thing of John and I. And John looks at the photograph and he says to me, Oh, my darling, you're so pretty in photographs. <laughs> you're so photogenic. So I kind of look at him, and he's very pleased with himself. I think he thinks he's passed me a compliment. <laughs> so, so I said, I said um, John, what are you actually saying? Are you saying... <laughs> I was like, I couldn't believe he had the guts to say this to me. I said, what are you saying? Are you saying that I'm, I look better in photographs than in real life? So he looks at me and says, yes. <laughs> he says, isn't that what photogenic means? <laughs> oh. so he looks at me. I, I said, I can't believe. He said, what did you want me to do? Lie to you. <laughs> so I said, no, I wanted you to truth me. Truth when he told me that I look just as pretty in real life as I do in photographs. 
<laughs> but yeah, you know, if, if you're going to pick up the policy of not lying, then you've got to be prepared for people to not lie to you either. Because I tell you what, it would have boded him a whole lot better if he'd lied in that situation. But there we go. We have to deal with the truth. Anyway, that's basically it, I think, girls. Okay, here's just a few pointers for you that may help you. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Okay, and that's what sanctification does. It changes our perspective. It allows us to see situations through the blood of Jesus, and that is going to change the way we see things. It changes our attitudes. Our attitudes change our emotions. Our emotions affect our behavior. Okay, overthinking is the biggest cause of our unhappiness. Sure, I was a practice ruminator. Oh, I could ruminate lots and lots about all the difficult parts of my life. And you know what? It made me unhappy. Don't do it. Catch yourself. Don't allow yourself to do that. These things take time. They take effort. They take um, attention. Catch yourself. Recognize it. And then occupy your mind with something else. So there's absolutely no shortcuts, girls. You've got to work hard at it. You've got to be determined. You've got to be patient with yourself. Okay, we have to be, because we will fail. We are going to fall. And if we're going to throw the towel in every single time we fall, you know what happens when we throw the towel in every single time we fall? is like we take our attention. We failed, so we feel like a failure. So we take our attention off the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has to sit there. And then we think, okay, I'm just going to, it's just much easier. We might not even think it, but it's just a whole lot easier. I'm just going to go with the flesh. I'm just going to go with the flesh. But you know what? The Holy Spirit is sitting there, and he's quietly willing us. He's quietly willing us to pick it up. And he's going to will us, and he's going to will us. And I'm sure you've all experienced this. Eventually, after three or four weeks, maybe three or four months, we think, okay, let's try it again. And we pick it up, and we feel like we're starting all over again. Whereas if we fail, recognize that you failed. Acknowledge that you failed. Ask God to forgive you for your failure if you need to, but pick it up immediately. Pick it up immediately so that you don't feel like you're starting all over again. It's like you're picking it up from where you left off. Start there. And then, of course, Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 is, you know, keeping our minds fixed on good things, on the things of God, on the things that are going to benefit us. I just wanted to say before we close that what we think about ourselves, the way we see ourselves, the way we treat ourselves is far more important than what anybody else thinks of you. Everybody's got opinions. You know, we've all got opinions. You've got opinions about me. I've got opinions about you. We've all got opinions. But people's opinions don't matter. Your opinion of yourself is what matters. And we need to see ourselves the way God has said we are. And we need to be working and walking towards that. What consumes you consumes your life. If you are ruminating over negative things continuously, it is controlling your life. Negativity is controlling your life. It's time to change that. I'm going to tell you this story quickly because I just these were just like sayings that came up on my Pinterest. Uh, you know, when you start to Pinterest things, and all of a sudden, they send you all these things. And just some of them, I just couldn't resist. The best apology is change behavior. <laughs> I remember in our, not so much the very, very early years of our marriage, but um, 
you know, it went on for decades. We've been married decades. It went on for decades. But John was um, always late. He could see nothing wrong with it, and I couldn't bear it. If he said to me, I'll pick you up, we've got to go somewhere, I'll pick you up half past 10, I would believe him. I'd be ready and waiting at half past 10, everything's sorted, and half past 10 comes, half past 10 goes. 11 o'clock comes, and 11 o'clock goes. Half past 11 comes, and half past 11 goes. And this was before the years of cell phones. By this time, I'm just about smoking out of my ears. I'm so angry with him. He eventually arrives as right as right. Oh, sorry, dolls. So and so pitched up. And uh, it was like, I'm thinking, it happens again and again and again and again until eventually it's like, it's like I want to rip his head off his shoulders when I see him. <laughs> eventually I said to him, save your apologies, change. <laughs> and you know what he did? It didn't happen overnight, but he did. And John's been a good example to me of seeing people change habits, change behavior, ingrained behavior, how he's changed. He's not perfect. There's plenty of other areas that he needs to change. But in this area, he's much, much, much better. He's a good man, my husband. It takes the same energy to worry as it does to be positive. Yeah, we can waste time worrying. Use your energy to think positive, and positive things will happen. One small positive thought in the morning can change your whole day. It's true. If you can start the morning changing that negativity that comes into your head when you wake up, if you can change that immediately, it'll change your day. And lastly, but not leastly, if it's important to you, you will find a way. If not, you'll find an excuse. And Pastor Helen always used to say, if you want to do something, you will do it. If you don't do something, it's because you don't want to do it, ultimately. Ultimately, we can find excuses, and we can find really valid excuses, but at the end of the day, they're excuses. So, ladies, I hope today that you have a little bit of a better understanding of sanctification. And just this one very last thing. I think the bigger the revelation we have in our hearts of the love of God for us the easier it's going to become. You know, the reason we love God in the first place is because he first loved us. If we can have a greater revelation of God's love in our lives, we'll love him back greater. And the more we love somebody, the more we want to do things for them, we, the more we want to please them. And sanctification is a process that is going to be extremely pleasing to God. So that's it, girls. That's it. We finished.